Tonight we're talking about the history of dating and friendships. Did you know that the term dating was first used in 1896 when a columnist told the story of a clerk named Artie whose girlfriend's head was getting turned by other men. When Artie confronted her, he said, I suppose other boys are filling all my dates. Alluding to the dates in his girlfriend's diary that may have been filled by plans of other guys. Once upon a time, Colton, your parents said that you couldn't tell why Valentine's happened, so you better be paying attention. Okay, okay. Once upon a time, you didn't date to find someone you had an amazing connection with. You courted to find someone respectable who wouldn't pour your inheritance down the drain. Because women, up until 1870, couldn't own property, money, or goods upon marriage. They couldn't inherit their family's things. So in the Bible, it doesn't actually talk specifically about dating. But it says that um, families were arranged... And so a woman's family would go to a man's family and say, can I pay you to take my daughter? And I feel sad about that for them, but that's, they didn't get a choice. This article continues in the history of dating that even when marriages were arranged, they arranged for chaperones. I thought that was interesting. I was like, I thought that was just a, a thing that we made up today, but they use chaperones. So you would sit um, in a parlor and you would have a family member with you um, because they didn't trust you to be alone. But World War I changed it all because women started working in factories, which means they started traveling by themselves. And so they started to meet more people. The dating pool got larger and larger as women and people had more choices of traveling. And then the intervention, invention of the World Wide Web changed dating forever because there were no boundaries. Literally, you could meet someone across um, the world and be in a relationship with them, which led to this terms of dating that I found for parents on Very Well Family. We all know what ghosting is, right? Okay. But do you know these? Do you know what zombieing is? Okay, let me tell you. Zombieing occurs when the person who ghosted you suddenly makes an appearance in your life again. It's like they came back from the dead. Okay? Slow fade. Do you know it? Slow fade is, happens when your love interest gradually fades away by making less and less effort to connect. Cuffing? I want to know how many people cuffed in the last week. The goal is to have a boyfriend or girlfriend over the holidays or on Valentine's Day. <laughs> Any of you do that? Okay. Uh, curving. When teens use the term curving, they're talking about rejecting someone's romantic interest. And then there's DTR, which we all know. How about deep liking? No. Deep liking is a way for your teen or others to show that they like someone by scrolling through old social media accounts. To find the relationship. Nobody knows that. That was your generation? Oh, I thought, okay, I'm old. How about benching or crumb breadcrumbing? It occurs when someone 
has, a, has been dating or talking, and they suddenly stop agreeing to meet the person. However, they still contact you through text, direct message, and social media. And then I learned a new one that I think all the middle schoolers knew, but I didn't. I learned it from Eric. I got the ick. So you know it? Okay, well, I got the ick means you hang out, you like the person, and then they do something, and you're like, ick. And you no longer are interested because you got the ick. So, where's my picture? This is sixth grade Amanda. I dated... I was in sixth grade. That's my nephew, who's now 30. That makes you feel real old. Um, but I dated Nate Erickson. And in sixth grade, what does that really mean? But this is what it meant for me. It meant we chatted on the phone. And when I say phone, it was like this cord attached to a wall. And I tried to get away from my family because there weren't cell phones or like cordless phones. It meant that I thought he was cute. It meant that our group of friends hung out together. It means that, or it meant that we sat together at a movie. The interesting thing about this idea of dating in the Bible is there's no black and white rules about how to date. The Bible gives guidance on sexual relationships, how to be a godly man or woman. It also tells us how to be good friends. But there are no lines in the Bible that say, thou shall not kiss on the first date. The things we're going to discuss today about dating and friendships and boundaries fall under this umbrella of godly wisdom versus mandates. So there's two perspectives on dating that we think um, will help you have a healthy relationship. These came from the curriculum we've been using through this series. The first one is dating for marriage. This per perspective says that dating should, the goal is marriage. It's not that you're asking them to marry you on the first date because that would be creepy. But it's this idea that if you don't like what this person does or who that person is, you probably shouldn't date them because you wouldn't marry them. Dating them just for fun could actually lead to both of you being hurt or doing things that you might regret later. Dating for marriage also brings the relationship super deep really, really fast because the goal is like marriage. The other perspective is dating for maturity. In this perspective, marriage not, might not be your goal for the relationship, but it recognizes that dating can be a wonderful experience where we learn about ourselves and others. Through this perspective, we learn about others, what we like, what we don't like, what we helps us to understand what we're looking for in a future spouse. It also helps us to know how to grow a relationship in a healthy way. It allows us to look at ourselves and say, wow, I'm not very patient. I don't really have, I might need to work on my comp being able to compromise. At the same time, it can also show us positive things about ourselves. I'm a really good listener. Or um, I like to do acts of service, so someday I, will, I would love to cook, which is not my gift, so that's not me. But that could be yours. So you are learning about things in your life that would help you become more mature 
in future relationships. Adults in your life are going to say, pick one or the other. And I'm saying, can we take a little bit of both and be in the middle? The most important thing is not how you go about dating, but the kind of person you are becoming if you date. Spoiler alert, I didn't marry Nate Erickson in sixth, from sixth grade. But I did go on a variety of dates, and I had long relationships, and I had short relationships. But I learned a lot about myself, and I also learned what I was looking for in a spouse. Each person that I did date or even hung out with, if I liked them, helped me like, figure out who I was and, the pers- and helped me become the person I was today. So if we date, it can be this awesome thing that helps us grow. But when we talk about dating, whether it's dating to marry or dating for maturity, we should talk about boundaries. Each approach of dating can be good when we engage with it properly. Too much of a good thing can be bad, though. It's a cliche for a reason, right? It's got wisdom. When I go to the beach, uh, the waves, the sand, it's all beautiful and awesome and amazing. But if I go home and have that same thing in my living room, now I got a problem. It's beautiful because it has boundaries. Before we talk about how to set boundaries, we should talk about what they are and the purpose behind them. Boundaries are this idea of setting guidelines for how we will engage with other people, especially in a dating relationship. How are we going to interact? Boundaries help nurture healthy relationships. And a healthy relationship is when our commitment level matches our connection, that we don't have a deeper connection than we have commitment. Boundaries are kind of like speed limit signs. They help guide our hearts the direction we want them to go. They help set guidelines for how we interact, but they only work if we follow them. If we drive around like a madman, we are still at risk of getting in an accident. And here's the thing about boundaries. Boundaries are hard. It's not fun to say no to things. I'm going to be honest with you for a second. It's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. Sexual integrity is this idea of bringing our whole selves to God, denying ourselves and saying, I want to follow you. You know more about what a full, flourishing life looks like than I do. It's not running away from the fact that we are sexual beings, that I have urges, that when I'm with my girlfriend or boyfriend, that I want to be with them, like be with them. But in those moments, it's coming to God and saying, I want to be obedient to you. How would you like me to do this? How do you want me to go forward? I'm choosing to love God above everything else, above my body, above the person that I'm dating. It's saying, God, you reign supreme in my life. And it's doing that because he is a good God. It's not out of religious duty. It's, It's because we trust that God wants to bring life and more life and a full life to us. As I am pursuing connection with this other person, I am also pursuing connection with God. Boundaries help us have healthy connections. So how do we set them in the context of relationships? Well, first, 
each romantic relationship has different parts to it. There's a physical side, an emotional side, a social side, and a spiritual side. And uh, it's like the, the pieces of a pie, right? They all make up a whole. And each of these pieces are connected. What I mean by that is this. If, if one area increases in connection, the rest want to follow. If I have a deep emotional connection with somebody, my, the physical side of that relationship will want to increase as well. So we need to have boundaries for each of these. When we first, uh, when we talk about physical boundaries, the, the first thing we like to ask is, okay, well, where's the line? What's okay? What's not okay? When does it become sin? Can I make out? Can my hands wander? Can we take clothes off? Where's the line? And I think that's the wrong perspective to have. That perspective is like, okay, how close to the line can I get before I cross over? But, but friends, Jesus is that way. Our perspective should be trying to get closer to him. And so what if instead of asking how close to this line can I get, we ask, is this bringing glory to God? Would God be proud of this interaction? But I know some of you are asking, practically speaking, what would be some good physical boundaries? I think the biggest one is not isolating yourself with your significant other in a way that could lead to something happening. So stay in groups. If you go and spend time at each other's houses, be in a public place. Stay in the living room so that somebody could walk in at any time. Here are a few others I would give. Uh, if it's not a place that you would touch mom or dad, maybe don't touch your significant other there. Uh, stay vertical. There's no need to lay down. Be home by midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. Just say goodnight, go home. I'm glad you guys think that's funny. It's, it's all good. Hey, I'm surprised, like... <laughs> I thought last week was going to be the week that they were going to be squirming. I didn't expect that to get you guys that bad. Wow, okay, well. All right, all right. Hey, these, these boundaries, they don't answer everything, but it could be a start. Ultimately, you are going to have to set boundaries for yourself, boundaries that can help guard your heart against sexual temptation. Emotional boundaries. This involves separating your feelings from your partners. It's protecting yourself from the lows and the highs of dating. When we talk about having this, the same connection as our commitment, we shouldn't let our emotional connection run away. So maybe we're careful who we say I love you to. Maybe we're careful of how much I share with my significant other. We don't let them become the only person that we rely on for our emotional well-being and health. They aren't the only one we turn to when we're sad or hurting or happy or excited. They don't become an emotional crutch. This idea that they are the only person I rely on and not God or others for help. 
I'm not saying that we don't share things with them or that we don't let them care for us, but we keep a healthy boundary. Social boundaries. They determine how, where, and when we spend time with others and by yourself. I have a friend who says beds are for sleeping and sex, and you're not doing either of those, so you shouldn't be on your bed. It's this idea that uh, I'm not going to isolate myself with my significant other. Spiritual boundaries. Uh, this idea of how you spend time praying, reading the Bible, or growing in your relationship with God. Your relationship with God is, is personal. So how you interact with others should reflect that. Now, we want to include others in our faith. That's a good thing. And it could be really cool, but, but how are you keeping your relationship with God personal and not tangling it with other people? A helpful question, is your romantic relationship helping or hindering your relationship with God? Boundaries are helpful when we talk about dating, but boundaries are helpful when we also talk about our other relationships, including friendships. There is a lot of overlap between dating and friendships, and actually, we need to have good friendships to have a good dating relationship. We are designed to be in community. It's why we have small groups here, right? Because we know that we need others in our lives. We need good Jesus-centered friendships. And honestly, friendship is more important than dating. We would be better off investing our relational energies into good friendships. And if out of that a romantic relationship comes, great. But priority should be on Jesus-centered friendships. Here's the thing with friendships. We have to let others in. Now, this is stereotypically a guy problem, but I've seen girls with it too. This, uh, where we want to keep others at arm's length. We want to keep it surface level. We don't want to go deep in our friendships. We don't want to share personal things. I went golfing with a buddy of mine one time, and, and we, we were gone for a couple hours, and, and I come home, and my wife asked me, oh, how's he doing? How's his girlfriend? Anything new in his life? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. She's like, what? You were with him for hours. How could you not talk about it? Talk about anything. And we're like, I, it didn't come up. What do you want me to say? Later, she comes up to me she bring, uh, and shows me this meme of like, this is like a word for word uh, what our conversation was. I thought this was a joke, but it turns out it's real life, I guess. Like, she just couldn't wrap her head around the fact that we didn't share details with each other. Friendship is more than just hanging out and having fun together. It's good, but it's more than that. We need to let others in, to share how we're feeling, to share how, what we're thinking. That way we can let others support us and care for us. The key to healthy friendships is also that they're meaningful. So I had a group of girls in middle school that I would hang out with. And I also worked at a restaurant, so I hung out with people that were way older than me. And that led to a lot of peer pressure and me not making good choices. I didn't have the boundaries to not do what they, didn't, what they wanted me to do. And so sometimes I compromise my priorities to, of school or family to hang out with this group of friends. If I saw any of that crew on the street and saw them, I probably wouldn't, I don't even know if I would wave to them. To be honest, I'd be like, walk the other way. Like, we wouldn't talk. And it's been like 30 years. 
My mom would always say, and I can't believe I'm, like, literally, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. She would always say, Amanda, you are who you hang out with. And I'm like, no, I'm not, because she would hear what this crew would do. I'm like, I'm not like them. I'm different. I'm totally different. I'm stronger. I, I am not like them. In reality, she was right. Their sassiness, their choices, their attitudes definitely influenced me. So I had this second group of friends. Do you have a picture? I met Jenny, the one in the back, sitting, she lived a block from me. And I met Jenny, she went to public school, I went to private school, and we started to hang out. They were kind, they were truthful, they were accepting of me. I didn't have to do the things that they were doing or not doing to hang with them. They truly cared for me, and they always steered me in a positive direction. And as time went on, when I met them, I was in seventh grade, but as time went on, we became, they learned about Jesus and they shared their faith with me. And they were the people that I asked all the questions of, literally, knowed all the questions, hours and hours of me asking them questions about God and life. They were honest, they were faithful. These friends, I would call them, because it's going to show my age, they were my ride or die friends. There's nothing I would say to them that they, to this day, would be like, you got to go. Like, I can't believe you said that. This picture, this next picture, is us last month. Or actually, it was this summer. These friends are the friends that I literally have a whole book of pictures of that I dug out, if you want to later. We have been through so many weddings. I counted that we have 22 kids under the age of 13. So many babies, so many pregnancies, death of parents and friends, divorces, broken families, you name the things I, we have walked together. Tomorrow, I'm going to the cities for a conference, and then I'm going to go out to dinner with Gina, who's in the red shirt. And then Jenny, I'm going to sleep over at her house, and we're going to have a slumber party like we are, like we're in seventh grade again. Are your friends making you a better person? Are they helping you to become more like Christ? Are they causing you to do the things that are against your values? Who are you becoming when you're around them? The piece of advice that I would offer my 11 or 16-year-old self would be pursue healthy friendships. Put, ladies, your relational energy into solid female friends instead of waiting some, for some guy to sweep you off your feet. Guys, don't waste your time with people who bring you down. Find faithful, meaningful friends who appreciate who you are. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, said this. This is her quote. I taught my kids when they were in elementary school to cup their hands, do it, like I know, I'm lame, do it, and put them in front of them. And I said, in your hand is your flame. It's your soul. It's your light. You need to surround yourself with friends who, when your light is shining bright, don't feel the need to blow it out. I'm serious. If you have a friend who's like, going to blow out your flame because they can't appreciate you for who you are, don't be their friend. Put distance. Why do you want to be around someone who's not going to appreciate you for you? 
But on the flip side, don't be the friend who blows out your friend's flame. Be the person who encourages them and raises them up to be who they are and who God created them to be. I'm going to kick you off in the front row, boys. Seek out relationships with others that help you to become more like Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to do a take two, and then you can go to your groups. Heavenly Father, I thank you for relationships. Whether we're dating, single, looking for friends, Lord, help us to put you at the priority but also to help us to grow deep connections with the people around us who accept us and, and foster who we are and encourage us to be the person you've created us to be. Lord, be with us this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.